Many companies don't take the opportunity to really transform during a transaction. I think many companies focus a bit too much on keeping things standalone or, or really taking swift action. And we would encourage you to really think about if transformation is right for your next M&A transaction. And when you think about corporate-wide change, there's really few things that catalyze something like a transaction where you've got public commitments, you've got commitments to your external markets, you've got commitments to your board. And so we would just encourage you to really think about if this is the right moment in your next M&A transaction. From McKinsey and Company, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. You just heard from Alex Liu, a partner in our Minneapolis office, describing the opportunity that mergers can present for pursuing transformations, which is what we'll be discussing today on our first podcast of 2024. Alex is a leader in our M&A practice and helps clients execute large-scale mergers with a focus on growth-based transactions. Alex, it's great to have you here today. Sean, it's great to be here. Uh, joining Alex is Chris Hagedorn, a senior partner in our St. Louis office and a leader of our global transformation practice. He focuses on transformational M&A and has deep experience across the chemicals and agricultural sectors. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Sean. It's great to be here. Uh, I should mention off the top that Alex and Chris recently co-authored a new article titled, When a Transaction Forges a Transformation, and we'll include a link to their article in the show notes. So, all right, this is a meaty topic, so let's dive right in. Chris, why don't you start us off by giving us a sense of the recent arc of M&A activity in the general deal-making environment? So, we had a significant dip uh, early on in, in the COVID, uh, COVID environment we were in early 2020. You see deal activity rebounded significantly, uh, both in terms of number of deals and value. Then, as we got into economic and uh, political stability concerns in early 2022, deal value and also number of deals dropped off. And as the interest rate environment has has appreciated considerably, 500 basis points uh, since early 2022, the deal activity uh, uh, slid off over the uh, late 2022 and early 2023 uh, time horizon. I will say that we are seeing a rebound in, uh, in both value and number of deals in this new interest rate environment. And uh, Deal activity is, is starting to stabilize at these new levels. And uh, what it does mean is that this higher interest rate environment has created an imperative for uh, better and, uh, and more robust execution of corporate M&A deal activity. And what this means is the pace of integration and also the magnitude of value capture has become uh, much more important than it was in the past. Thanks, Chris. So why is M&A such a great opportunity for launching a transformation? So a couple of key aspects you see around it being, it can be for some deals, a once in a lifetime opportunity to unlock value. Also, we are seeing increasingly revenue and growth opportunities are becoming a larger and larger part of the overall deal thesis and opportunity and value creation as part of this and repositioning the business with customers being critically important. And we also see that uh, you know this could be a powerful catalyst for change for, for many different reasons that might be on the on the M&A agenda or the company agenda. And I'll just say that this uh, transforming while doing M&A isn't for every deal. It isn't for every company. 
and we're also not saying you need to relax the rigor that that needs to go into proper planning for integration and synergy and value capture. However, for certain deals where where there's a significant opportunity and or it's a prerequisite to capture significant upside value and also to do it quickly, that will help increase the odds and increase the uh, the probability of success in your next M and A transaction. I might, I might just add, you know, many companies don't take the opportunity to really transform during a transaction. I think many companies focus a bit too much on keeping things standalone or, or really taking swift action. And we would encourage you to really think about if transformation is right for your next M&A transaction. And when you think about corporate-wide change, there's really few things that catalyze something like a transaction where you've got public commitments, you've got commitments to your external markets, you've got commitments to your board. And so we would just encourage you to really think about if this is the right moment in your next m transaction. Thank you both. So how do you know when the opportunity is right to pursue a transformation as part of an M&A transaction? Are there any indicators that you use, such as perhaps the size of the deal relative to the size of the acquiring company? Yeah, Sean, uh, let, let me answer a few of the indicators that, that I look to, and I'm sure Alex will add a few additional ones as well. Typically, the size of transaction is is a, a very large indicator, right? So especially if you're bringing together two equal-sized companies uh, that, that have significant heft in terms of revenues, customer footprint, employee base. I will also say the degree to which your, transform, your, your deal requires a significant lift in financial or operating performance or other types of performance, safety, uh, sustainability, you name it, um, where you need a dramatic departure and dramatic lift from your current level of performance to a significant new one. And that can also include distressed acquisitions as well of a company that may be cash flow negative, that uh, that requires a significant turnaround. Those are often the indicators I look for. Alex, anything else you would add? Yeah, I would add, um, you know, I would think about what you're trying to do with your customers. So if you're really trying to access a whole new base of customers, perhaps through a new channel, be that distribution, be that through e-commerce, or you're thinking about creating an entirely new set of offerings, that would be another marker of of transformation because the, the themes that Chris and I are getting at are your company's going to have to do vastly different things. And so that's kind of a key theme of how you would signal for transformation, right? C- conversely, if you're just doing a simple product tuck-in, right? Many, many M&A deals are kind of simple product tuck-ins or IP tuck-ins where you're really just kind of putting those in the bag, so to speak, the sales bag. That's likely not a transformation because you're largely largely leveraging the current asset base that you have. And Sean, maybe just to maybe just to bring bring this home, you know, I, I always say if the board, the CEO, or or the C-suite uh, chief strategy officer, others, the CFO, have a lump in their throat thinking about how am I going to pull this off, I, I'm committing a lot in my business case. That's probably an indication that uh, that this might be the right the right fit. Yeah, I, that, that's a great way to make that real. Thank you. Um, so let's move on to the how. Can you take us through how you'd approach 
a transformation when a transaction is the main driver? Well, in my experience, there are four key elements, strategy, value, execution, and people. Strategy, are you actually reimagining the combined business? And I'll say first, we assume here that that the management team, the CEO, the board have, have spent the time to say, what is our M&A strategy? What actually are the targets we believe uh, fit within that strategy? At that point, though, when you start identifying the potential opportunity specifically for individual deal rationale for individual targets, um, what is often missed, step one, is developing a renewed vision for the combined enterprise. And in a transformational deal, understanding the opportunities for growth. Alex talked about the customer, uh, the customer cross-section, right? Who are your customers? Who are you serving? What are the opportunities for growth? Margin enhancement as well. What does that look like? What are those opportunities? And then probably one of the more important elements that, that I see is the renewed operating model, which is, are we going to act and be structured and transact as we do today? Or is there an opportunity to do something different in terms of how we reach customers, how we engage with our stakeholders, how we engage with our suppliers that actually uh, enables a brand new renewed vision for how the company will operate going forward. So with that renewed vision, aligning the top team around those core elements, it's critically important. And then lastly, developing the communication strategy to engage. Of course, there's an expanded aperture of engagement uh, circles as you go through a transaction, but developing the communication strategy, the content, the cadence and pace of how you're going to do it are, are truly important than how you're going to cascade it through mass, mass communications, one-on-ones and everything in between. So again, renewed vision, top team core alignment, and then developing the communications and executing the well. Really critical at the front end of the strategy element. And and the other aspect I'll, I'll highlight is Alex and I, you know, we in comparing our notes across the clients we serve, there's never one of these blueprints that is a one size fits all. It always needs to be tailored to the context. And uh, back to Sean's question earlier about about how do you know what does it look like? You need to tailor and apply the lessons learned to the individual transaction and looking to protect the deal and protect the, 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 the core operations and performance, but also looking at finding the edge of what is that vision and how do we actually transform and moving that faster and uh, on a higher trajectory on the agenda than might otherwise be there. Point that I would add on, on this. So the notion of a transformation is not monolithic. You want to transform selectively and are also taking a lens of protecting the base business and ensuring that the organization is not overwhelmed with too much change at once. Great. So in that strategy step, do you find that companies typically use the transformation as a justification in pursuing a large transaction? Or is it more commonly the other way around where the transaction provides the right environment and perhaps opportunity for an enterprise-wide transformation? It seems like it might be a bit of a chicken and egg question. Sean, I, I I can say yes, yes to both of those, right? Yes to both of those and 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 archetypes in between. What 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 I would share is that there are many situations where the deal, like we're describing here, the M and A deal, is absolutely the catalyst for for a transformation. I will also say that uh, that part of the the work that I lead in in starting company good to great transformations, many of those lead to the opportunity to improve your core business and then identify opportunities and, and 
missing areas, whether it's customers, geographies, et cetera, to actually bring into your business uh, while you're transforming. So it, it certainly can be both. Thank you, Chris. So while you're looking at gaps that you could fill with acquisitions, could the transformation work also highlight potential divestiture opportunities? Alex, you want to take that one? Sure. I mean, so that reimagine the new company applies equally for an acquisition. Also, it applies to uh, divestiture, right? Really taking a thoughtful lens around what are the markets that we should be playing in? Who are the customers we should be serving? Where are the geographies where we should be playing in, right? So going back to maybe the first question that you asked, I think it's important to realize that transactions are not a substitute for a good strategy. So at, at the foundation of, of what Chris and I are talking about, it's you have a very clear sound strategy overall. And within that, you have M&A as a component. And that then defines like what are the right transactions? What are the right either acquisitions or, or, or splits you want to be looking at? I would not be looking to transactions as a rescue for a poor strategy. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just, I'll just add some of the, some of the most impactful transformations that I've been a part of have come as a result of setting the right strategy for the company, divesting certain as- certain business units at, at areas and actually then transforming them because the, the need to transform and redesign organization structures, business blueprints uh, in a spinoff or divestiture situation is just as important as when you're acquiring to make sure you're you're right-sizing the cost structure, you're tailoring the business processes and uh, an operating model to the new uh, new uh, divested uh, business units uh, that are that are coming as a result of a of a split or separation. Got it. So, are there any case examples you could share of setting this broad strategy and then launching an M and A driven transformation? We can indeed. So. A few years back, I was serving a, a global luxury consumer goods uh, producer with uh, a strong global presence, customers across six continents, and, and actually, you know, activities across thirty or so uh, different countries. And in the context of this, is they had an opportunity to pursue a transformational acquisition of a distressed luxury luxury goods brand, uh, but with a complementary set of markets, customers, and products to them. And so, bringing this to life a little bit more. In, in addition to the, uh, I'll call it the standard levers and opportunities around cost structure, procurement, uh, uh, productivity gains, and, and the like, this uh, company, the CEO and board, decided to also use this as an unlocking event to fundamentally change their operating model. And so back to Alex's comment and mine about renewing the vision for where the company is going in the future. They had for a long time thought about how do we reorient from a functional horizontal primary PL axis to one that was brand centric. These are luxury brands. The brands are very well known and they and they wanted to even enhance the go-to-market and the, the marketing presence of the brands. So when they acquired the fifth brand in this in this distress transaction, actually took the opportunity to do two things. They reassigned these and called them business units and and put precedence over each one of them and drove a significant enhancement in go-to-market presence and enhanced their brand significantly. They used this opportunity to shift over a quarter of their sales from, from starting at zero, a quarter of their sales to a much lower cost direct-to-consumer channel that allowed them significantly uh, increase their margins and, and overall revenue and sales as well. 
So this was a a true transformation that resulted in, yes, the financial benefits that were outsized compared to what they otherwise would have achieved, but they also used this as a transformational unlocking event for how they chose to operate and go to market across their entire enterprise. As part of this, they set very aggressive targets and created a very detailed plan targeting a 20% pro forma EBITDA lift, uh, inclusive of the investments needed to shift their operating model to add business unit presidents. And um, in setting those aggressive targets, in this case, they launched dozens, uh, approximately 100 initiatives and initiative owners to actually truly achieve the value capture plans, but also achieve this reorientation of the operating model around brand and this new P&L structure. And ultimately, the impact they achieved, they they far exceeded their 20% EBITDA lift. So they achieved more than 30% EBITDA lift. And they in, they they more than uh, increased by, by half, the greater than 50% enterprise value increase in 18 months between uh, the start of the pursuit of this acquisition to, uh, to uh, post-acquisition. So a significant enterprise value increase in a very short amount of time applying this approach. Wow, that's really impressive. So just a quick follow-up question on this, Chris. Were there any hurdles the company had to overcome, perhaps resistance in the organization or in the acquired company in particular, in making these transformational changes as part of the acquisition and transaction? Well, Sean, this was a situation where the brands had always been sort of hidden underneath the operating model. And so so this allowed that unlock. There were some business processes and reporting PL, financial uh, FPA reporting structures that had to be changed. So we truly had to transform some of the finance back end of the business. But but actually for the acquired company, it was a blessing in disguise because they basically brought their brand, their organization straight in. And um, and that that one required the least amount of operating model change compared to uh, to the uh, to the legacy four brands and that that existing functional structure. Thank you, Chris. So once you have the strategy in place, what's next? Your article talks about identifying the full potential value. Alex, can you take us through what that really means? I'll tell you what we typically experience within within transactions. Many transactions are pretty good at protecting the base business, which involves ensuring we have a clear employee retention plan, making sure that we have a clear plan to engage our customers. That's really kind of the bottom you know, table stakes. And actually, a number of transactions are good at pursuing what we call uh, combinational synergies, which are really simple scale plays, right? A good, a good example of this would be you now, once you combine um, the vendor bases, perhaps have more opportunity for you know better better purchasing purchasing scale or similarly on the revenue side pursuing cross selling which is you know simply selling each other's products to each other's each other's customers what we find is that not all transactions pursue transformational opportunities and these are the ones which really re- require some degree of structural change in the case of costs that could mean pursuing offshoring and outsourcing. In the case of revenue, uh, that could mean pursuing new digitally enabled uh, business models or a new go-to-market channel. And we would encourage you in each of your transactions to take a full potential mindset, really leveraging the transaction as a catalyst to really explore everything. 
Let me bring to life for you, how does this work from a really stepwise process? So step one is really assessing the full potential and triangulating what's really the art of the possible. Looking at competitive benchmarks, looking at your current company, current performance, and asking the question, what's really possible and how high is up in each one of those areas? That is what we call the independent diligence, right? So taking a, a real clean sheet lens of all the potential opportunities. The second step is then setting a set of goals or targets for each one of the work streams, assigning a, a set of line leaders to really develop the initiatives, and then running those each of those initiatives through a very detailed business case development and implementation plan development process, which is validated by finance. The outcome of which is what we call a bankable plan. Think about a holistic integration financial plan for every area, every initiative, every month that's all tied out that you can just sort of simply track and manage to when you when you are ready to ready to execute. So I would say here, companies miss a couple of different things. Firstly, we would say that on the first chunk, they don't set the aspiration high. We would we would submit that if you take your public company or your public your external commitment, you should be shooting for kind of a minimum of 30% above that internally. Many companies, if they're taking the opportunity to transform, might set that goal at a, at 100% above or 200, even 200% above. The second thing that companies often miss is the activation of a very broad set of line leaders, right? So they tend to keep it at the C-suite level, but the ownership doesn't penetrate into the very depths of the of the organization. And then lastly, this integration holistic financial plan is oftentimes set too late. So, so well after close or multiple months after close, we would submit that you want to have this within the first 30 days or 60 days post-close, um, if, not, if not sooner. I was just going to add two things. There's a famous quote that goes back in time, which is that the greatest, the greatest danger for most of us is actually that we, that not that we aim too high, but that we actually, and, and miss it, but that we aim too low and we make it and we hit it. And so I, I just wanted to reinforce Alex's point that, you know, triangulating and identifying the full potential means that in some areas you might not actually make it, but in others you may far exceed it. And, and the, the, the difficulty I find in some, in some of the misses is that targets aren't set high enough and rarely does an organization target going beyond a target that's set. So if it's set too low, that can actually be the, the, the demise of your business case. So it just encourage that. And the other thing I'll, I'll add that Alex emphasized around this bankable plan, most of the clients that we serve where we put this in place, this is at or better level of detail and rigor than, than the budgets that are in place in the organization. And so it allows you to actually achieve and have a roadmap for achieving that, that's, that's very similar to the budget detail that you will have, if not in some cases better. Great. So how do you communicate these opportunities within the organization and to investors? A, a transformational transaction can deliver some great benefits that go well beyond adding two sets of revenue together. Yeah. Let me take the the first first pass at that, uh, and then I'd welcome Chris to, to chime in. So externally, you want to take a, a fairly 
conservative view to communicating benefits, right? So you have an external commit, we we kind of beat it. And of course, you're setting your your goals internally, I think more bullishly, right, than externally. But that was kind of the concept, which is you've got an external commit, you want to consistently beat and then potentially think about raising the the aspiration. So so that's one principle is conservative externally, conservative to constituents, but internally to these line leaders setting a set of kind of stretch goals. The second thing that is extremely important, I mean, here we focused a lot on kind of financial pieces. I would I would submit that the how the organization is going to change, the the promise to customers, the promise to employees, that is as important than just sort of the the dollars, the dollars and cents, right? So the, the the change story, as we would call it, or the the narrative, has to equally hit on kind of the hearts and minds and the heartstrings, as well as the the financial the financial benefits. Alex, the the only the only thing I would add is um, the use of ranges is my experience as well, right? So you go with the low end, which you're very confident in, uh, with the external. Uh, community and and the higher end in, internally, I will also say though that that obviously for those in the uh, private company space, uh, PE portfolio companies and the like, you have more latitude to actually stretch a little bit more because you're not in the public domain. But um, but yeah, it, the the IR strategy, especially for public companies, is is always one that needs to be tailored to the context and your confidence in in achieving the goals that you set out. Thank you both. Uh, it would be great to hear an example of how a company actually applied these principles to capture that full potential value. Do you have any you can share? So this was in the um, industrial sector. It was a, a merger of equals. And, and really, there were three components that I thought made it transformational. One was really the pursuit of a significant growth goal. At the same time, looking at how do you use this as a platform to really transform the the operations digitally, right? So, uh, and then thirdly, it was a company of, of similar size. Uh, and so it had kind of that scale and enterprise piece um, as well. To bring to life the, the, the value component, I would just highlight two specific things. One was a, a true exploration on all pools of value, right? So looking at revenue, looking at working capital, looking at, at cost, holistically and then really running through something like you know something like 100 plus different initiative owners across the enterprise through a very detailed bankable plan process and every one of those validated with a business case impact sizing implementation plans um, really set prior to the closing of the transaction um, and really then post post transaction the ability to kind of check and adjust that plan in addition to that, the establishment of this digital platform that really enabled further on transactions, as well as a shift to shared services, right? And and this really enabled, you know, about a three or four x plus increase in in shareholder value value creation. Wow, that's great, Alex. So I think we're now ready to move on to the next element. Chris, do you want to take us through that? Number three is about execution and establishing an empowered execution engine that actually enables a large cross-section of leaders in the organization to actually step up, own the business cases and the results, 
and allows you to run at a much faster speed and have have many more individuals owning and driving. I'll first say that there are two key elements you see. Uh, one is a the disciplined operating cadence, and the other is executive scorecards. Now, both of those, I think everyone say, sure, those make sense. But what, what we're proposing here and what, what I typically find um, in 90 plus percent of my client engagements that after we actually do this, they say, this was fundamentally different. It was a different level of execution rigor, and it literally built muscle that we will that will enable us to operate differently going forward, well beyond the transformation or the M and A deal integration and transformation. So, unpacking this a little bit, the discipline operating cadence is investing a significant amount of leadership time in the integration and transformation, and having a lead who is an extension of the CEO with the authority to truly drive rapid, high quality, but rapid decisions. If you have a a deadline once a quarter, I don't know how many of you start working out at the first day of the quarter or maybe the last couple of days before the deadline. Most people wait till the last couple of days before the deadline. If you actually shorten this this delivery cadence, make it short, focused, execution oriented, um, you actually find that organizations are able to run at a much faster clock speed on a weekly clock speed instead of a monthly or longer clock speed. And, and doing this with, with data-rich, data-driven performance dialogues with the right people in the right meetings, with the right agendas and the right tempo enables the rapid decision-making. And in some cases, uh, the rapid clearing of challenges and hurdles to get to that decision, the next, the next cadence, the next, uh, the next window of opportunity. And so that discipline operating cadence is truly critical. At the same time, the executive scorecards of having one source of truth, not not 10 different versions of where we are and, and different perspectives on business cases, but a single version of the truth of where we are for each work stream, for each initiative, right? On an overall basis, that's validated by finance, that's uh, truly allows you to compare your actuals. So you're tracking actuals to the bottom line not just reporting it in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet saying, I think we're notionally there, check, that's good, but validating actuals tracked against this budget or bankable plan that we talked about and continuously challenging, not in a disrespectful way, but in a very collaborative, uh, constructive way to identify where we can accelerate, where we can actually deliver more value and or deliver it faster or find new initiatives that actually can be catalyzed by an existing one that can help you further enhance your your speed and uh, and magnitude of capture towards your full potential. So, and and I think um, that another thing that I'll I'll truly emphasize, Alex, and I've already hit it a couple of times, is the number one factor we see when we look at our transformation track record and history across our clients is the the percentage of individuals down and in the organization who truly own and feel a part of the accountability for driving the change, driving this cadence and driving the impact to the bottom line or better safety or whatever other outcomes that you've identified, that engaging a large cross-section, enabling them builds capabilities and builds a, a totally different way of delivering going forward and ensures success of your, your transaction in front of you as well. There are some clear responsibilities that are that are important in, in enabling and setting this different way of working than than how uh, many transactions actually actually view this and set it up. It's challenging the operating business, setting up the 
the the tension, but the constructive tension to have dialogue because to get to full potential, you have to find the edge. You have to find the edge and you have to do that by challenging the operating businesses, but being respectful and setting that culture and that that dynamic. Engaging and inspiring, right? It's this is this is not not meant to be a strong arm performance dialogue every day. Sometimes that's necessary, but often you get so much more out of a pat on the back, a phone call from the CEO uh, or the or the head of the the integration and transformation. Um, but but having a consistent way of engaging one source of truth, celebrating um, and also driving a hard performance dialogue. Business leaders uh, leading by example, walking the talk, that's obvious. But there's so many times where we're going in the other direction or where you're asking everyone else to go leads everyone to not to not pay attention. So ensuring that that examples are um, are are in place for all leaders to lead by example. And then uh, and then also uh, ensuring that you have this rigor and tracking uh, your activity and your results against the agreed targets that were part of the bankable plan that Alex identified. And and the last bit I'll I'll share about execution. Um, Having building blocks of what rigorous, solid meetings are, which I know is motherhood and apple pie for most of us when we think about it, but actually how we put it into practice, oftentimes we find that a standard agenda, a standard way of working builds the muscle, builds that recognition and weaving in change and organization health, talking about change stories, recognizing individuals, pats on the back. Uh, in addition to the deep dives, the problem solving, and then following up with closed loop action cycles on new actions, critically important to creating this flywheel effect of this this uh, weekly cadence. Over time, over the course of a transformation and an M&A deal focus, upfront is usually focused on integration predominantly, but you see over time and as quickly as possible in transformational M&A, uh, post day one, you shift that focus as quickly as possible to transformation, value capture, and the other enablers that are necessary so that you can actually shift the dominant focus when you get past the bankable plan period to actually true execution and, and realizing the, the full potential. And the last thing I'll say is just the NBA shot clock is a great example of this cadence. For many of you who watch basketball before the NBA shot clock, oftentimes it was slow, it was it was meandering and and the team that was in the lead would just hold the ball and kind of wait out the clock. Once the shot clock came in, it increased the pace, the tempo, the scoring increased substantially, drove points per game uh, by about 40 points combined uh, between the before and after, and it created much more excitement. And, and this this is a very good example of what, what we create in this transformation office to bring a different cadence to achieve a different level of execution activity. Thank you, Chris. Uh, fascinating way you uh, wove in the basketball reference as well. So I have a couple questions on what you've said. First, you just mentioned the transformation office. How does that group relate to the integration team that's typically driving a merger? In my experience, the transformation office needs to be the integration office and vice versa. And that's where I think yeah, Alex and I would both say that uh, it's not so important what you call it. If you want to call it the transformation and integration office or or any different ways that we've seen. But if you have two different activities and two different timelines and processes, typically uh, it doesn't work. And so bringing it together in one overarching umbrella 
Um, you can have sub-elements and should have some elements focused on integration and then focused on the value capture and the identifying and achieving the full potential. But bringing that together in a one consistent holistic agenda under under one office and one one leader is really important to achieving success here. Got it. So quick follow-up on that. Who is the one that's typically running that transformation or implementation office and where does it reside? Um, and what kind of organizational power does this office really need to have to make sure that the aspirations are realized post-transaction? Are there any other key aspects that make that work really well? Yeah. Look, I, I will say, first of all, um, we mentioned it earlier that a, a leader of the integration and transformation who actually is empowered by the CEO to drive the cadence, make decisions as well. It doesn't mean taking decisions out of the PL owners and out of the line, but it does mean actually collaborating driving and catalyzing decisions to be made at a different different pace. And typically this position would report into the CEO because if it's truly transformational, these type of transactions and the transformation that that uh, that that comes with them is is at least a couple of year journey and actually uh, is top 3 on the CEO agenda. Perfect. So the other question I had before we move on to the last element is how do you track and celebrate the overall impact that a transformation is creating versus just taking note of specific milestones? I will say there are the non-monetary pats on the back, the celebrations, the mass communications that that are critically important to to motivating and creating the, the right culture and the right celebratory environment around achieving success. Sean, I think I think a second one is um, you know, I, I call it the United Way thermometer with most of my clients is, is sharing the progress transparently, right, of, of how we're doing, the non-financial and the financial goals, and making that clear to, to individuals down and in, in work streams, but also overall. Um, it's really important that people understand where they are and therefore what they need to adjust. Uh, celebration, fantastic. In some cases, need to need to buckle up and, and do a little more work to get there. So, that's really important. And then the third one I'd say are incentives. And those kind of come in an A and a B flavor, Sean. Um, one one flavor is the pizza parties, the gift cards, the, whatever it is, the small celebratory things that acknowledge achievement of milestones. Those often are just as important as B, which is tying individual incentives, especially for those that are, that are truly uh, your leaders and your initiative owners who are driving the impact of of providing incentives for them to actually achieve uh, so that if they win and we win, we all win together. Alex, anything else you'd add? My only add would be, it is woven into how we do the work. That is part of every transformation office meeting. It starts with recognition. Here's who's making it happen on the transformation. And these recognition calls that Chris had referenced in his prior comments, that's not like once a month. That's like every week <laughs> it's happening. So so I think that's the important thing is it's part of how we do the work. Recognition is not, and, and celebration of progress is not something that kind of happens like at, at specific intervals. Okay. So Alex, can you take us through the fourth and final element now? So this, this last one, I'd love to maybe start with the question that we often get asked, and that is how do we sustain the transformation. And I would say many transactions, you do one-time, one-time projects, right? One-time projects 
where you kind of get the synergies and then you kind of go back to back to base business. And and really the way you do it is building foundational capabilities, right? And then we would say that there are two real aspects of those capabilities. One is there is a transformational leadership set of capabilities, right? Things like problem solving, prioritization, um, having hard dialogues, uh, adaptability, role modeling. This stuff might sound like it is very foundational and basic, but the point is you need a common language and a common set of capabilities across the entire enterprise. So getting everyone to kind of the, a base a base level. And then of course, there's the functional capabilities that you need, right? So this one I think is it comes more naturally to, to companies, right? To get that higher set of procurement savings, you've got to build clean sheet models. So we have to learn, you know, how do we how do we do that? And both are critical. Okay. So how have you seen companies put this into action? Any specific cases you can describe there? So if this was a global leader in packaging, roughly $2 billion. I think the standout for this case is what they did on the capability building in the talent front. So they launched a, a standard package of, of excellence, combining both the transformational leadership capabilities. So, so there's a standard curriculum that all you know, 250 transformation leaders got around problem solving, around decision making, tough dialogue, and simultaneously rolled out advanced uh, capability building on operations, commercial, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, they top graded the talent in the organization. So they they changed out, you know, 50 out of the top 100 roles, aligned incentives, and and they took really kind of a dual focus on performance as well as as well as health. They increased the scores on um, organizational health index, which is you know one of our you know cultural surveys from bottom quartile to second quartile in two years, which is pretty remarkable. So the point being really investing in capabilities and the talent will ensure that the changes that you're making during a transaction are really sustainable. Awesome. So uh, as you both know, we've done a lot of research on the benefits of programmatic M&A or the approach of executing a large number of deals where it's the accumulation of the deals that drives a major investment or portfolio change along a strategy or a theme. Can you just share with us um, how a programmatic approach to M&A could also potentially be an opportunity for transformation? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, I think the first thing I would say, Sean, is it's really a companion to thinking about a transformational transaction. And if you look at, if you peel the onion further on our programmatic uh, research, Programmatic acquirers actually have better odds of success when doing a transformational uh, transaction, and the reason is they have the muscle have the muscle built, right? I think the important thing to note, even if you're a programmatic acquirer, is if you're doing a, a large scale uh, transformational deal, it does require slightly different skills, given the kind of size and scale, right? Many programmatic acquirers are doing, you know, all shapes and sizes of transactions. Really, the big ones, I would say, they require just a really different enterprise-wide look and a different set of capabilities and not to get overconfident. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, Alex. And as we wrap up, uh, I'd like to just, just quickly touch on the big takeaways. What are the key points our listeners should bring to their teams tomorrow? 
we would have you think about four things as you approach your next transaction. Number one, take the opportunity to really reimagine the combined business. Um, swing for the fences, really pursue the full potential, establish a bona fide and power execution engine. And then lastly, invest in your talent, invest in capabilities so that the transformation and the changes you make are truly sustainable. Thank you, Alex. Any final comments you'd like to share before we close out our discussion? I would share one one comment, Sean. Look, I, we, we think that 2024 is, we're going to see a real a real uptick in, in M&A performance, right? I mean, if you look back, you know, the last decade, the cycle of M&A is very, very predictable and and you know we're we're kind of coming off of kind of a a little bit of a quieter period. So we predict that 2024 is going to be a big year for M and A. So we would encourage everyone to kind of be kind of prepping for that and and really taking some of these lessons to heart, thinking about the next year. Agreed. Thank you so much, Alex. Chris, how about your thoughts? I'll just close, Sean, by saying I think I would just encourage everyone to shoot for a, shoot for a high aspiration, identify full potential. And and think about the renewal of what the of what the combined enterprise can actually look like, and be super creative in that upfront, and invest the time on that. Thank you both so much for investing your time with us today. This has been a really great discussion. Thank you, pleasure, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. As I mentioned earlier, we'll include a link in the show notes to Chris and Alex's article "When a Transaction Forges a Transformation," which you can find on McKinsey.com. As always, we welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts, and you can email us at itsr at mckinsey.com. That stands for Inside the Strategy Room. You can also share your ratings and reviews on any podcast player with many thanks to everyone who's already done so. We really appreciate all of your ongoing comments and feedback. Please do keep them coming. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to subscribe, you can follow our weekly series on any podcast player where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com ITSR, where you can easily browse our prior podcasts across six major themes and also access written transcripts of those conversations. Finally, if you'd like to automatically receive our latest publications and insights, we encourage you to sign up for email alerts on our insights page at mckinsey.com SCF for strategy and corporate finance practice. Finally, if you'd like to automatically receive our latest publications and insights, we encourage you to sign up for email alerts on our insights page available at mckinsey.com SCF for strategy and corporate finance, or follow us on Twitter or X at MCK Strategy, or you can connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.